So thank you. Welcome to another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice. That's Chris Williams. We're from Above the Law. We're here to talk, as usual, about the big legal stories of the week that was for those of you who are trying to, you know, keep up on the news as it happens. It, you know, there, there, there were some there were some real developments. But first, we will begin, as usual, by having some personality you know, showing some personality with this show by having a little bit of small talk. Hi, what's your small? What's up with you? No, I'll let you be personable first. Okay. Uh, last week, I attended uh, former host of this show, uh, Ellie Mistal's book. Uh, his his book is now in paperback, so I attended his paperback oh, release shit. party. Yeah. Easy so plug. It, what's it called? That's a great question. Uh, I'm pretty confident I know what it's called, but it's also one of those things. I'm pretty confident it's a black guy's guide to the Constitution, but I want to make sure that I'm not misquoting it slightly. So, oh, that's actually the black guy's guide to the Constitution is the subtitle. That's the issue. It's allow me to retort is the official title and then colon a black guy's guide to the Constitution. So, yeah, uh, so that is now out and you can go pick that up. Uh, if you were one of those people who didn't get it in hardback, a hardcover, and want the paperback, it's it's out there. So yeah, so I attended that, uh, which was fun. Uh, I got home from that and severely twisted my ankle to the point where I had to go to doctors. I was fairly confident I'd broken it uh, getting off the train. So yeah. I'm assuming that part wasn't fun. It was far less fun. It was excruciatingly uh. painful. But as it turns out, it was no fracture. So That's I can good. walk around with a boot and so, and a crutch to kind of keep me balanced. And uh, they say it'll get better in a couple weeks. So, Well, that's good. Yeah. Um, my weekend wasn't nearly as social, but it was, mm-hmm. it was good nonetheless. Um, me, and, uh, me and Bay had a staycation. Um, okay. We decided to, uh, like, we moved the bed to the living room and camped in the living room. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. We, um... We uh, finished, what was the show? It was uh, a show called Call Me Can't Communicate, which is an adorable show. It's about this girl that has social, extreme social anxiety. And it's like okay. a real nice, real nice, cool, like brain dead, feel good show. It's like, it, it's nice. And we watched a couple episodes of Breaking Bad just to, you know, balance out the media consumption. You know, okay. we're on season three. So for those of you that are familiar Gus is in the part. Okay. Gus isn't Gus yet, you know. So it's still right. he's still the guy that's you know at the chicken shop, but he's not the guy at the chicken shop. You know that's right. That's later in the part, but it's amazing. It's amazing. Fair um, enough. Well, okay. So with all of that, our we we've talked about our lives. We seem like human beings, so like we seem relatable to to the audience. And so with that done, we can talk about law. Ending our small talk. So yeah, so the I guess the biggest news of last week was the you know, Trump arraignment uh, on federal charges. So we have that that uh, now looming over everything. Uh, the is there a week where that wouldn't have been the biggest thing in the news? Yeah, uh, it's right. Well, so the the arraignment's already had happened, but we have more um, 
or the indictment had already happened. The arraignment we go through, uh, we learned a couple of things. One was that Trump doesn't have any real lawyers for him anymore and is struggling to find anyone willing to represent him in Florida. Uh, he still has this former Solicitor General uh, making appearances for him, though uh, Chris Kyes has made made statements suggesting that he doesn't want to be the actual lawyer long term, but he's willing to enter appearances right now. Uh, it's, it's a real question if they can find a local counsel willing to take this on, uh, given that he has you know, made something of a something of a pattern of not paying people. And apparently mm. that catches up with you eventually. Mm. I mean, there's, there's got to be at least some big law bro that's like, nah, I'll represent our president pro bono. No? Well, I can't see any big law person doing it because <laughs> big law people care a whole hell of a lot more about getting paid than they do uh. about representing whatever. I could see some up-and-comer ambulance chaser sort of person uh, (laughs) which sounds derogatory and was meant in this particular instance uh i support personal injury lawyers generally but you know what i mean when i say this uh somebody who is trying to make a name for themselves more than caring about whether or not they get paid here sure but it's hard to believe there's many of those folks out there at this point especially considering there's this is not a particularly great case for these folks. As we discussed when we talked about the indictment uh, over the last couple of weeks, it's pretty cut and dry. Uh, There's some arguments to be made, I suppose, that the attorney notes were improperly included and should be excluded from the jury and so on, which would make it seem less like a conspiracy. But, you know, a lot of these charges are pretty strict liability. I mean, you have classified documents that you aren't supposed to have, you warranted to the government that you did not have them anymore when you did. I mean, those are crimes straight out of the gate, which makes it a lot harder to make a real defense. Uh, maybe you could cut back some of the charges, but the mo- but like, and we talked about this, uh, I don't know if we talked about this on the podcast or whether it was just in an article, but the Just Security did a sentencing guidelines breakdown, which obviously the guidelines are not mandatory anymore, but guidelines for these particular charges, even getting rid of the ones that are based largely on attorney notes that got in through the crime fraud, that arguably are in through the crime fraud exception, some of these other violations straight up are 20 year sorts of sorts of crimes, uh, which for a guy Trump's age, 20 years is pretty brutal. Uh, So anyway, uh, he's having a hard time finding his lawyers uh, was one big story. Uh, The related story to it was, of course, that he made some comments and we're not a visual medium, so you can't quite see me rubbing my head here, but he made some comments about how (laughs) he's he's willing to plead guilty if the DOJ will agree to pay him damages for having put him through this. That is... An interesting claim. Yeah. Also, for anybody that's seen Breaking Bad, that just immediately reminded me of uh, season two. This guy's name's uh, James Kilkenny. Mm. He like goes to prison for pay. So it's you know. Yeah, like the yeah, but 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 the, usually the government isn't the one doing the paying. Uh, the government <laughs> yeah, yeah, isn't yeah. really in a practice of paying you to agree that you committed crimes. Uh, they're in the business of 
saying you committed crimes and then you paying them to get out of it. Uh, the business model the doesn't work. Yeah. Sometimes well, they pay sometimes, the prisons, you know. Yeah, you can theoretically, not in federal, but you can theoretically pay, have governments pay the prisons. Not really relevant to this conversation, though, because <laughs> it's about, he says that he's willing to do it if they'll pay damages. I, But what the reason I think these are related is it it's indicative of not having access to good legal counsel that you might go out and say something like this, right? I mean, mm-hmm. any actual lawyer would tell him, no, no, that's not, that's not how this works. Even non-lawyers, like, I don't know, like, hope. yeah, like, I, I, I haven't really asked many people that work at Wendy's their legal opinions, but I would imagine the person working the frosting machine would be like, hey, this, this doesn't make sense. Well, oh, yeah, one would hope, unless, like, has civic education gone so bad in this country that even... Even regular folks don't understand that the government doesn't pay you to plead guilty. Uh, it, the the other part of this pay to plead guilty thing is it, that's not even necessarily the stupidest thing Trump's saying out loud. Uh, Jonathan Turley, who is kind Your of on a hilarious, it, oh, so Turley, George Washington law professor, is he's on a constant drive to get attention from right wing media. He doesn't really have any seemingly any consistency to his thoughts other than what might get him attention at a given moment. Uh, when the indictment, he was talking about how the indictment was all going to be made up and it's a fake case and whatever. And then he, when he saw the indictment, he actually came clean on TV and said, actually, this is very damning and very serious. Apparently since then, he has received the message that that wasn't what would get him invited back on TV. So he has, over the course of the following several days, written more and more stories saying, this is all politically motivated, this isn't real, yada, yada. Uh, Because he's nothing if not consistent in the fact that he wants to be on TV. So with all of that, he did, however, have a moment of clarity, which I assume will soon be walked back, pointing out that Trump did an interview with with the right wing journalism, uh, where he started making statements about, oh, I didn't know that there were classified documents there, which, you know, he's on tape saying that here's a classified document that I didn't declassify. So he's making public statements now that seem to suggest that he was lying in these past audio tapes. Now, that's going to that's all going to be admissible uh, at the point that you've been indicted. When you go out in public and say things, that is all now fair game for you, uh, to be used against you. It almost seems like the, the, like this is another moment of the why why it's important to have a lawyer, right? Or at least just shut your mouth. Yeah, I, I saw one theory, and I I don't necessarily ascribe to this one uh, because I don't think that there's much much reason i mean there might be a reason to have him surrender his passport but there's not much reason to incarcerate trump like it's not like these are crimes that other than the risk of of international flight there's not much risk that he's going to like continue to cause problems now that the government has these documents yada yada and i'm generally against pre-trial incarceration unless you you know unless it's a, a severe like a clear and present threat to public safety going forward. That said, they didn't put any kind of house arrest or gag orders on him. And that that kind of seems almost like that was calculated, even though they, as a moral matter, probably shouldn't have. It also seems like the DOJ might have made the 
litigation tactical decision to not do that, more or less banking on the idea that Trump is going to say things in public that will hmm. bolster their arguments down the road. Uh, because, you know, you don't want to, if, if you have any concerns, you're not going to get M. Corcoran's notes in. Don't worry, uh, just put them in the indictment and let Trump go on TV and talk about them. Uh, that's going to get there. And that's a way around all of these issues. Uh, this is something that a real lawyer would be able to tell him not to do. Uh, but so far, he can't do that. Uh, years and years of stiffing lawyers has finally come back to haunt him, it seems. It's funny how that happens. Yeah. So, yeah, the, so the, the lesson here is pay your lawyers in a timely and responsible manner. Uh, and then you, uh, when you're indicted for 37 counts of dealing with cl in classified documents, you don't have a problem finding an attorney in case that comes up for people. Calidus AI cleverly supports you by suggesting relevant law to address your complex issues. Put in simple questions or longer fact patterns, then Calidus asks you to confirm if points are salient before proceeding. Use Calidus to check if you found all the key concepts, cases, and statutes. Calidus turns that into a high-quality, customer-ready document. Handle complexity confidently with Legal's most advanced AI platform. Get $90 off your first two months. Use promo code Joe at CalidusAI.com. That's C-A-L-L-I-D-U-S-A-I.com. Hey, Guy, what's up? Just having some lunch, Conrad. Hey, Guy, do you see that billboard out there? Oh, you mean that guy out there in the gray suit? Yeah, the gray suit guy. Order up. There's uh, all those beautiful, rich, leather-bound books in the background. That is exactly the one. That's J.D. McGuffin at Law. He'll fight for you! I bet you he has got so many years of experience. Like decades and decades. And I bet, Guy, I bet he even went to a law school. Are you a lawyer? Do you suffer from dull marketing and a lack of positioning in a crowded legal marketplace? Sit down with Guy and Conrad for Lunch Hour Legal Marketing on the Legal Talk Network. Available wherever podcasts are found. All right, we're back and talking about one of our least favorite subjects. Layoffs? Don't talk about layoffs. You kidding me? Layoffs? Talking layoffs. Uh, we had a few more last week. The first one, the first one to, to, to talk about is Oric. Uh, Oric announced that we're going to cut, I believe, 6% of the global workforce divided between attorneys and staff. That News came out, and soon after, we heard from Reed Smith making some cutbacks. What was that? You wrote that story. How much was that? Was that five? I think it was like, I want to say two. It wasn't that much. It was about... Oh, it, well, it, okay. It, was, it, it came out to be about 30 attorneys, but it was uh, okay. less of a, it was a smaller number. Right. So, we, so then we had Reed Smith. Uh, this, of course, supercharged fears about more layoffs to come. What do you what do, what do we think about the layoff situation? Uh, any takeaways from these moves? Uh, what are we thinking? Well, my takeaway is uh, I saw mm -hmm. that the that Oric deferred their associates to January and only gave them a fifteen k stipend. What happened to six figs? Well, oh, well, no, that's a good point. But that that Cooley's six figure stipend was for people willing to defer until January twenty twenty five. Ah, gotcha. Yeah, so so that that was actually interesting, and that's worth talking about again because 
put aside the, the distinction here, it does seem like Oric didn't offer the push clear to 2025. Cooley was suggesting that people in certain practice areas, if you were willing to take a new practice area, they were deferring you until January 2024. But if you were hell-bent on the practice areas that they currently seem to think they have no room for, then they would give you six figures to wait till 2025. Oric not doing that seems to suggest that they think there will be a market back earlier uh, for these folks because they'll be able to fit them into, into billable work by January of 2024. At least at this point, that seems to be what they're thinking. It's interesting. I actually made a tweet right before the Reed Smith news came out, after Oric and right before Reed Smith, because we internally here at Above the Law have been having some conversations about like, what does this mean? You see a lot of the other legal press talking about more layoffs, another layoff, like they, this is a trend, yada, yada. Meanwhile, I- It's hard to tell the difference between points and an actual trend. Yeah, well, yeah. So that's the issue is what, what, is, what does this really say? And even though there are layoffs happening at all sorts of places, it seems that the only connective thread between all the layoffs is the core Cooley, Oric, Wilson, since he, like, did Wilson or was Gunderson? I can't remember. One, one of the, those firms that are all West Coast based have a, well, while, while several of them have a global full service law firm, warping, you know, out, Outlook, uh, they have core tech sector clientele. Uh, those firms, are all having this issue, uh, which suggests to me that a, there is a spillover of the tech sector problems in the economy writ large that are impacting those firms. Meanwhile, firms like Goodwin, Reed Smith, uh, Deckert, I'm struggling to see what the connective tissue is, which makes me wonder, and, that, and this is the real question, are these firms indicative of a law firm, law, legal industry-wide pending layoffs, or are they outliers, whereas the other firms in the tech sector are their own thing, meaning we have a bunch of layoffs, but only some of them have a connective tissue that makes them all one issue, whereas the others are just general outliers that are taking advantage of, hey, you can fire people right now and people won't blame you. Do you think there's any fault with, say, somebody confusing uh, market coincidences for market trends? Do you think that other firms yeah. will end up copying? Yeah, I, I do think I think that. And I also think, I think there's something to be said for law firms don't like, uh, no, no company likes, but law firms in particular don't like looking like they've screwed up, right? And they also don't like looking like they're reactive to things. The law firms by their nature, lawyers like to look like they are solid as a rock, right? I mean, it seems like they, they want to per, uh, show that they are risk averse and so on. And so nobody wants to, even when law firms have financial problems, they don't like laying folks off. It's why during the Great Recession, for instance, the layoffs that we saw in law firms tended to be lagging the rest of the economy. They would come several months afterwards because they would really hope to not do them uh, because they would take a loss in order to look stable. What we're seeing with, with this, with the non-tech firms, the more non-heavy in tech firms, I should say, we're seeing firms 
willing to say, oh, you know, the, the market's trouble, so we're getting rid of folks. Uh, and I feel as though more than the idea that there's some real pressure on firms to do that, I feel like they're trying more taking advantage of the fact that there's a media and uh, pushed somewhat by the Federal Reserve and so on. There's an effort to say that a recession is coming, which the numbers don't seem to suggest it is. But given that that's out there, it seems like they're taking advantage of it. Some firms are will are willing to say, oh, look, a lot of people believe there's a recession coming. So we're going to use this as an opportunity to make some cuts that we otherwise wouldn't because we don't really have a huge financial need to do it. But people aren't going to blame us because it's going to seem like they, we're reacting to a recession. Recessions happen everywhere. Like, we're all going to have to do this. And I think they're banking on the idea that other firms are going to do the same thing, uh, given that they aren't necessarily. It, it, unless a real recession starts to hit, you start feeling like they're going to be left holding the bag and look like firms that overreacted, look like firms who were stretched, some arguably stretched financially so thin that they couldn't deal with a small slowdown in Q1 spilling into Q2 that they had to react before Q3 and 4. I yeah, saw if one. Post yeah. If it is posturing, I'm not really seeing the benefit of being the first mover. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, well, the the idea is that you really are you blame it on the loss. market, but you know, yeah. Well, even, you if, even if the market is shitty, you would want to present yourself as if, despite the market being how it is, we are you know stalwart, whatever, whatever, like right. you know, bulwarks, you know. Yeah, exactly. Like the the idea is that you probably do have thirty lawyers too many in certain practice areas. Like M&A has been slow for a couple quarters. So you have these people you're paying high salaries to, and you're taking something of a loss on them. Now, query loss, uh, it just means that the partners are making $2 million a year instead of $3 million a year, or probably even less, rather than 2.5. Anyway, whatever. You've got some people who are arguably dead weight. That is true. And if you think that you're, that's going to continue for another quarter or two, you might get rid of them and just say, then we'll get the first years in and they'll pick up that slack and we don't need to worry about this. That, that is, is really happening. There is overstaffing in certain practice areas. The question is, and this goes to your point about being a first mover, I think some of these firms want to get that ball rolling and hope people are going to follow them. So it looks like, hey, everybody in the industry had to react to a recession. And so far, I think outside of the tech-related firms, it's few and far between. And yeah, there are several of them, like Goodwin, Deckard, Reed Smith, whatever, but they are more few and far between. They are more staff-related than attorney-based in a lot of these cases. I, I don't necessarily think they're, they're cause for alarm yet, as far as industry-wide cause for alarm. Uh, we'll see, but... If M&A starts picking up in the second half of this year, those firms are going to move on. And as some of the firms that didn't do any cuts are going to take advantage of that. It, it's, still, it's still a situation in flux. I just, I, I don't know. I, 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 feel, I still feel reasonably confident that this is more of a tech hangover than a general economy hangover.
Okay, we're back and let's talk. Uh, so you did you did a write up of a decision, interesting decision because it it kind of moved the law in a, in a it expanded the law in a little bit of a new direction out of Massachusetts. Yeah, so there was a guy in Massachusetts, guy named named Anthony Dew, who was assigned counsel of a guy named Richard Doyle, and he ended up taking a a plea bargain serves some time. None of that is exceptionally interesting. But what happened was he, after that, he realized that uh, Richard Doyle, his attorney, was a bit of a major bigot. You know, just run of the mill. I hate blacks. I hate Muslims. I hate black Muslims. And then after you see stuff like that on his Facebook, which was, you know, public uh, for mm-hmm. everyone to see, the wheels begin to spin. I mean, there were, I mean, there were moments during the trial where I say, so, he wore the, uh, I'm not sure of the name of the religious hat that Muslims wear, but the kufi. Mm-hmm. He had a kufi on, and his turn was like, why are you wearing that shit sort of thing, which is like, ugh, what he was wrong with you? Like, that's a racist thing to say, but it doesn't necessarily show racial prejudice in the process of representing someone. I don't know. Um, but what was interesting about this decision was that the Supreme, that the that the court decided that the the fact that this guy was a racist was sufficient to win an insufficient, uh, what is it, the IAC? Assistance of counsel, yeah. In, in the, yeah, assistance of counsel. And I just think that was a, I think it's a, it's a cool outcome, but I'm wondering what the lines are. Like, yeah, because so one thing from your post that I thought was interesting was that, so historically, ineffective assistance required showing, in the, in the kind of general sense, it usually requires showing that the lawyer did something specific wrong in your case. Right. But they didn't necessarily have evidence that, the guilty plea was necessarily the abnormal. Worst yeah, right. But they so extended this, it to this guy's so bad <laughs> that, like, so racist that we have to jump in and say it. It per se had to have been ineffective, right? And I think that's interesting because it could have been the case that, like, and the example I gave, you know, uh, there's this uh, judge. I think wow, at this point it feels like it was damn near two years ago. There's this judge who's uh, who started slurring some dude because of apparently because of uh, some some drugs she took um michelle odinette now hopefully i'm saying her name correctly and she ended up going like so i, so I used her as an example like what did she end up going to do uh you know defense work and she she argues phenomenally you know get some like does some equivalent of somebody being charged with having 37 uh you know uh government documents they shouldn't have and get some like two <laughs> months like yeah. amazing lawyering if there, if her history is like, hey, you're racist, like, does that invalidate the <laughs> what happens now? Yeah, you know. I mean, I guess I guess the hope is that it can only work in favor of the defendant, uh, sure, because they they'd be the one who did. But but I mean, this is a good point. Like, it also, there are a lot of lawyers who do that kind of criminal defense work who you know privately would say, yeah, my defendant's guilty. Yeah, my defendant like hangs out with put aside racism hangs out with people people who do bad things uh like whether it's you know you could do that ra- in a racist manner you could also do that with mob folks in in certain areas of new york like it, it can be a more broad statement some criminal defense lawyers know those communities and know that oh they hang out there they get referrals because of that sort of thing is having that opinion 
does that carry over to then you were ineffective or are you a zealous advocate for them despite thinking that they probably did in real life do it? We we do have lawyers. I mean, several years ago, we, we, did, we covered a criminal defense lawyer who was openly advertising on my clients are all guilty, but I can get them off. And like at that point, are you conveying even if obviously racial and religious discrimination being the motivation is the problem here? But this is one of those things where like the facts in this specific case, like they form a general rule that is going to be applied generally. Uh, you think about some of the texts that Doyle sent that have become or comments on Facebook that become the issue here. Can somebody in the future say, you know, my lawyer said that every, you know, all of, all of my friends are guilty and whatever, and he was just trying get trying to get us off for the money and whatever. But if if that person is like a is something of a a real committed to the legal concept that everyone deserves a lawyer, and even if I think you're guilty, I'm gonna get you the best deal. Does that? Is that possible? Like, are there going to be situations that walk a line where somebody can say that, like, Doyle is clearly off the charts, right? Like, we don't have to go into specifics of some of his comments, but like, if you read the complaint, I which won't, is, and you yeah. don't need to read yeah. anything. <laughs> yeah. Well, if I mean, you put the link in there. If folks want to read the whole opinion, you can. Uh, this guy's clearly off the scale. Yeah. But you're right when you said, like, like you just said, like where you draw the line. I, I do wonder, there are criminal defense lawyers who will say things like, yeah, I know my people are guilty that I'm representing. And some of those comments are, you know, butting up against some of the things that this guy said. And are they going to use this opinion to get around that? Like, it's, it was an interesting decision because it does open the door uh, in ways that we hadn't had before, because we definitely used to. Historically, you try to tie it to this person should have gotten a year and they went in for five because the lawyer didn't care. And this very much kind of took the stance that they don't need to prove that anymore. Right, or at least in, at least in this state. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah. but it's interesting, because, and I'm not necessarily saying that that's wrong, right? Because the, the flip mm -hmm. side of it is requiring that set a super high standard of proving some sort of, you know, counterfactual, right? Like, especially mm -hmm. in plea deals, how do you say, oh, you could have gotten a better deal? You, you don't necessarily know. Like, the, the prosecutor is not going to say, oh, I was considering something better. Like, it, it mm -hmm. set an unrealistic standard that allowed for ineffective assistance to never be checked. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it I think this is a really fascinating case that you found that like gets gets into a whole bunch of issues as to how we deal with criminal defense going forward. My, <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't know how much of this would be uh, good lawyering or mm -hmm. courting the 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 bar to hit you, but it'll be like, <laughs> hey, some just imagine somebody being like, I hate blacks. And I get amazing plea deals. And then if and if the, the plea deal yeah. goes great, phenomenal. If it goes wrong, hey, my lawyer's racist. <laughs> Fair. Uh, yeah. I, 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 you might have some bar issues uh, with that, but... But as a but as a a criminal batter, like yeah, hey, it, that's a good question. That's a good question. Zealous yeah. defense. Like, hey, yeah. if I get if you walk if you walk after being an axe murderer in this kid's daycare to all your friends who represent you, but if you you know serve life or whatever, you know, here are my Facebook posts. Yeah, 
it, really interesting. I, I, I feel like this is an opinion that could give rise to law review articles and stuff, because I, I, I think it's an interesting policy question how we deal with ineffective assistance. And this there, there, there are threads to untangle here. Really interesting. All right. Well, I guess we've gone on, so we should probably close up for the week. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. You should subscribe to the show, get new episodes when they come out. You should leave reviews, stars, write something. All of that helps. You should be reading Above the Law every week so that you read these and more stories before we talk about them. You should be following us on social media. The publication is at ATL blog on Twitter. It also has a Facebook page. Chris is at rights for rent, the W R I T E S like for rent, like he writes. Uh, I'm at Joseph Patrice, both, both of us on Twitter there. We have, as in Joseph, uh, like, like biblical yeah, as in Joseph. Yeah. Uh, and then I'm at Joe Patrice on blue sky for whatever that's worth. Uh, not that I've been, I've been doing a really bad job of that. And I really need Are there to do people better. there. There are uh, a lot of people right now are doing their own, doing Twitter and then copy pasting that tweet and putting it on Blue Sky, which mm. I should do. I just it it's it's an extra step that slows me down, and I shouldn't do you know, but I should do better. Then uh, you should be listening to the Jabot, Catherine's uh, our usual co-host uh, podcast. You should listen to the other offerings of the Legal Talk Network. Uh, I'm also on the Legal Tech Week Journalists Roundtable. And uh, yeah, that should cover everything. We will uh, talk to you all next week. Peace. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the unbillable hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.